Hi there, I'm Congressman Mike Levin, and this is Listening with Levin. I'm here to bring you the inside scoop on all things Congress and to share some updates on my work for you. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everybody. This is Congressman Mike Levin, and you are here for another episode of Listening with Levin. Uh, I am really excited to have today a, a great colleague and a great friend, Congressmember Ro Khanna of California's 17th Congressional District. Congressman Khanna has been such a great leader on a number of issues in Congress, uh, including key environmental issues. And that's really what I wanted to focus on today. Uh, Ro, it is great to see you, my friend. How are you doing? Mike, really uh, great to be on. And I love the alliteration, listening with Levin. That's a, a great title <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> Well, you know, my grandma always said I had two ears and one mouth and I should use them accordingly. So, well, you know, I try you know, to... Look, I, I'm not going to embarrass you, but you're one of my favorite members because you're very humble, down to earth, and uh, just clearly in it for the right reasons of public service. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Thank you, Ro. You're, you're incredibly kind to say that. And I feel the same about you. Uh, I, I out you know, obviously there's a lot going on that we can talk about right now, but I wanted to have you on to talk about something on everybody's mind, uh, and especially that's uh, folks in California, and that is the price of gasoline. Uh, I was just, uh, I, I'm currently in Carlsbad in the district right now. I was just driving by a gas station, and it was around 6.30 a gallon, and that's for regular unleaded. I think that's around what the average price in California is right now. Uh, and the national average, as we're recording this, is $4.86 a gallon. So I have heard what a financial hardship this has been from people across the district. And, you know, some in our community have even cut back. They, uh, they have uh, cut back on other necessities like groceries to be able to afford to drive to work. Uh, and it's just unacceptable. And I know that uh, there are a number of uh, you in the Congress and myself, we're, we're all working hard on this issue each and every day. Uh, but uh, I guess I would start, Ro, by just asking, what have you heard from constituents in your district about this? Well, it's a huge issue. I mean, six bucks uh, in the Bay Area. I represent a district uh, in, the, in the heart of Silicon Valley, San Jose, Fremont, uh, Sunnyvale. You know, one of the um, moms was saying that she's going to have she's driving around finding baby formula. And, uh, you know, there the gas bill is going up. So you've got competing uh, crises that are affecting folks. And then in my uh, district, uh, people have to drive in because the housing costs are so high. And so the gas bill really, really adds up. So uh, obviously it's top of mind for everyone. So I think in order to understand what we need to do, we need to understand how we got here. And I've been talking for some months about three factors that are mostly responsible for contributing to these high prices. And I call them the three Ps pandemic, Putin, and price gouging. That's some more alliteration for you, Ro. Uh, so with pandemic, obviously, when the pandemic started, the demand for gasoline plummeted. The oil and gas industry made drastic cuts, the amount of oil they were extracting and refining. And then after many months of lockdown, Americans hit the road again when uh, people were vaccinated, when uh, it was safe to do so, and our economy came roaring back. Uh, but oil and gas production didn't recover at the same rate uh, and keep uh, pace with that demand. And frankly, it still hasn't. Uh, Rose, is it fair to say that uh, the pandemic has impacted gas prices? Absolutely. I mean, I think your three factors are absolutely correct, but certainly the, the pandemic being the biggest one. I mean, you had uh, 
basically demand go to almost zero for uh, several months. And at that time, uh, the price of oil plummeted uh, and companies cut back a lot of their production and we're still uh, living with that. And so uh, that in uh, a nutshell was the biggest cause. So the second P is Putin. And of course, uh, Putin with an unjust and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, which forced the United States and nations around the world to respond with crippling sanctions on Putin uh, and his economy, including a ban on fossil fuel imports from Russia. And uh, I'm often asked, well, why is this such a big deal if we're getting such a small percentage of our crude oil uh, from Russia, about 3%? And that's a fair question, but I always uh, remind uh, my friends that uh, Russia is a huge producer on the world stage. And since oil is a global commodity, uh, the ban has significantly impacted prices uh, all around the world. Uh, and uh, you know that's why it's so important that we do all we can to fight uh, for democracy uh, in Ukraine, uh, to try to uh, get away from allowing Putin to, to dictate uh, gasoline prices here at home. Uh, anything else, Ro, that you would uh, care to comment on with regard to the geopolitics around this and, and Putin's impact specifically? No, look, I think the president's done a remarkable job rallying NATO, rallying the Western world, rallying our country to stand up for democracy, to stand up against Putin's brutal invasion. Uh, the price of that is uh, that we, we had to uh, have sanctions on Putin, and that's disrupted global markets on oil, disrupted European markets. Uh, but Americans put principle first. We always have, and uh, I'm proud that we're standing with Ukraine. Uh, but there's no doubt that that has contributed to the rise in gas prices. So the third P, and the one where you have been a tremendous leader uh, in recent months is price gouging. And I think it's really just self-evident what is happening here. So you have Americans that are obviously paying more at the pump. You have big oil taking in record profits. Uh, last year, Exxon reported $23 billion in profit. That was the highest since 2014. Same with Chevron. They had $15.6 billion in profit, the most since 2014. You had a significant increase in things like stock buybacks, really just jacking up the, the share price and also the executive compensation uh, very high as well. And at the same time, these uh, oil executives are refusing to increase production in many cases, and they're just preferring to keep their profits high uh, so they can earn even more. Uh, so, you know, obviously, we're trying to do a lot in this regard to deal with it. We've got uh, some tools that we're working with and the administration uh, has been taking action as well. In fact, on March 30th, President Biden announced the U.S. would release up to 180 million barrels of crude oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as a way to bring gas prices down across the country and counteract the impact of uh, pandemic and Putin uh, and price gouging. But then on uh, May 19th, Roe and I joined a majority of our House colleagues and voted to pass something called the Consumer Fuel Price Gouging Prevention Act. Uh, and Ro, I would love if you could explain a bit of the work that you've been doing now, again, for several months with regard to price gouging and how that led to some of the actions we're taking and that have taken in the House and, and frankly, what we need to continue to do in the, the weeks and months ahead. Well, Mike, I appreciate your leadership. I was proud of uh, uh, what we passed uh, in the House uh, uh, with our colleagues uh, uh, on taking on the uh, retailers uh, from gouging. Have you noticed sort of with the price of 
oil uh, goes up, the price at the pump goes up right away. But when the price uh, of oil starts coming down, the price at the pump doesn't come down. And that's because uh, a lot of the retailers are uh, profiting uh, in ways that are not fair. I mean, they shouldn't be making these obscene profits with an external event at the cost of the American uh, consumer. But we also need to go after big oil. And uh, I was pleased today that the White House said that they're looking at the windfall profits tax. Uh, uh, Sheldon Whitehouse and I had introduced this. Many of folks uh, have been supportive of some concept like this. I mean, look, Boris Johnson in England, the conservative government implemented this in England. It's a pretty uh, reasonable common sense idea. And the idea is that let's tax uh, the excessive windfall profits of oil companies above $66 a barrel and provide a check back to the American uh, consumer every three months uh, based on that tax so that uh, they're getting some relief from what they're paying at the pump. And uh, I'm glad the president has said now that they're looking at this and I hope we pass something like that soon. Well, I was really proud that we did get the price gouging bill across the finish line uh, in the House recently, it included legislation that I had separately introduced called the Transportation Fuel Market Transparency Act uh, that increases transparency within oil and gas markets and directs the Federal Trade one. Commission. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, it's all common sense, Ro. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the American people can see with their eyes every time they go to the gas pump, they know what's happening. Uh, and those who are looking at the 10Ks and 10Qs of the oil companies uh, know even uh, more about uh, how this situation is one that's being taken advantage of. Um, so I was very proud to co-sponsor the uh, windfall profits tax uh, that you and Senator Whitehouse uh, have been leading on. And, and I had a couple questions for you uh, because I know you've gotten a lot of questions about that legislation. I want to make sure that our listeners can understand uh, how this maybe is different from some past efforts and, and how it would work. So the Congressional Research Service, and again, for our listeners, the, the CRS, that's Congress's research arm for any and all questions that members of Congress and our staff may have. Uh, CRS said that when Congress passed a windfall profits tax in 1980 under President Carter, it led to reduced domestic oil production and increased foreign oil imports by between 8 and 16 percent. But I know that this bill is different, specifically because it only targets the largest oil companies, and it applies to both domestic production and foreign imports, unlike the 1980 policy. Uh, Roe, could you speak a bit on how this legislation would lead to a different result or how circumstances maybe have changed uh, since 1980? Well, first, Mike, I don't want to contradict CRS, but their analysis is incorrect. It actually, if you look at right after uh, Carter's passed the windfall profits tax, the first few years, production went up and prices went down. Now, the uh, the tax was ultimately repealed by 86 or 87. And if you look at it over the long run, it eventually started to have a decrease in production and a, and a negative impact on price. So maybe CRS is speaking over seven years, but no one is suggesting that the windfall profit tax should be for seven years. Uh, the immediate uh, aftermath of uh, Carter's windfall profits tax was very successful and 82, 83 had an increase in production decline, decline in price. Uh, and of course, here you're also just looking at uh, the big uh, oil companies. Well, that's a really good distinction and I appreciate you bringing it up. And I, I have to ask you, I saw you uh, recently 
uh, doing a TV interview. Uh, and then I listened to a podcast where you'd commented on that TV interview uh, and you'd been asked something along the lines of, you know, uh, you support Apple uh, being able to charge what they want for an iPhone or for a computer. Uh, why not support uh, oil companies who want to charge uh, whatever they want? Now, notwithstanding that, I think Apple's located in your district. So, you know, we'll, we'll just leave that aside. But, uh, you know, how do you how do you compare and contrast when you think about uh, the ability of those oil companies to just charge whatever they want? Because, hey, that's capitalism. Well, first, I wouldn't support uh, Apple charging whatever they want. I mean, I think there needs to be antitrust <laughs> legislation so that they're not, you know, I, I don't support sort of the 30 uh, percent uh, fee to, to use the the, the the app store. But I think the difference is why I don't think there ought to be a, a windfall profits tax more broadly on every industry uh, is that there is a particular emergency and disruption caused now by a war. Uh, on the oil supply. And it's also why I don't think that this uh, windfall profits tax should be indefinite. But when you have a spike that's directly the cause of Putin's war in Ukraine, that's directly a cause of uh, pandemic uh, disruptions, uh, then it seems reasonable for six months, nine months, we can pick the time uh, to have a, uh, a tax on those ex excessive profits that are being caused by these external events and give that relief back to uh, American consumers. And I actually don't even do it in a punitive way. It's not, it's just saying that uh, all of this excess money that's being made, uh, why don't we have relief to the gap, people buying gas uh, and not just to uh, Wall Street, which is the ones, the folks are really benefiting from the oil companies not increasing production. Absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense. Well, and, and another uh, area that uh, we've been working on, uh, the massive fossil fuel subsidies, the billions and billions of dollars in subsidies that uh, the oil companies get. And, and uh, you know, obviously we support accelerating the transition to a cleaner energy future. We all support uh, energy independence, but we want clean energy independence. We wanna be leading on things like solar and wind and batteries and electric vehicles and all the rest. So one of the ideas out there, and I'd love your thoughts, is end the fossil fuel subsidies. And you could do one of two things, or perhaps both. You could take those funds and you could subsidize instead the clean technologies of the future that we need. Uh, or you could give the money back to consumers. Our, our friends Don McEachin and Sean Kasten have a bill that would repeal, uh, I think, the most common uh, subsidies given to the fossil fuel industry and give it right back to consumers. Uh, just curious, what are your thoughts on, on fossil fuel subsidies and what we ought to be doing instead? Well, I, I like McKeachum and Caston's bill. I, I, as chair of the uh, Environment Subcommittee on Oversight, we had Greta Thunberg in the beginning of this congressional session, and she said it's a punch to the gut that uh, we still have these fossil fuel subsidies. Instead of government actually helping tackle climate, we're actually doing the exact opposite by uh, providing uh, putting our thumb on the scale for fossil fuels. We're providing an incentive for them to have accelerated depreciation, for them to be able to take deductions for drilling that aren't available uh, for investments in uh, renewable energy or electric vehicles. It's, uh, uh, it's just wrong economically. Uh, and now is the time uh, to, to repeal these subsidies and to say, look, if we had diversification no one is saying we're going to go to an electric future all at once or we're going to go to renewables all at once. Everyone understands this is going to take time, 10 years, 15 years. But obviously, some of us want it more urgently. 
But if we, what we're saying is let's diversify. Imagine if the oil companies had been honest with us and back in the 1970s had just invested 1% every year in diversification. We'd be in a very different place right now. And we shouldn't miss the moment now to say, uh, let's work on diversification, which will ultimately bring price stability so we don't continually have every few years these spikes of paying five, six bucks gas. Well, I appreciate that and agree. And, and there's a, a great new uh, three-part uh, frontline uh, documentary that uh, I believe you're in uh, where they- Make uh, a short appearance, oil. short appearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but they look at uh, Big Oil's influence over the last 40 years and they talk about how they've been undermining climate science uh, in an incredibly harmful way and how they continue to misrepresent uh, the impact that uh, the negative impact that fossil fuels are, are having. Uh, but I also, you know, I see this not only as a, a environmental imperative role, but also an economic one. And you and I are incredibly fortunate to represent two parts of the country uh, that have been leaders when it comes to technology in general, but specifically uh, clean energy technology. Uh, you know, do you want to talk for a minute, maybe just about what a great economic opportunity this all is to, to really lead on these clean energy jobs of the future in, in districts like ours? Well, when I look at what, who's going to solve climate, and I'm frustrated by the inaction of Congress, I, I think to these incredible entrepreneurs, actually, and scientists who are, who are leading uh, in, in mind-boggling ways. You know, I go back home, I uh, here folks are investing in fusion, the holy grail, and we're convinced that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we're actually going to be able to generate that energy uh, in, in a way that is sustainable. And that's basically the way the sun generates the uh, uh, energy. Uh, I, you look at the advancements that they're making in, uh, in uh, renewables and, uh, and batteries and the capability of these batteries to hold renewables uh, in, in a significant way. Uh, you look at what they're doing with transmission lines. I, I will say, look, on the left, I mean, we have to invest and we have to provide tax credits, but we also have to, in my view, uh, expedite some of the permitting on the renewables. I mean, I think the bureaucracy there does slow us down. And so uh, we have to have an all-hands-on approach uh, to getting uh, our renewable investment and unleashing these entrepreneurs. Well, I was super excited that the Biden administration, and specifically our, our former colleague, Deb Holland, announced that they're going to uh, dramatically uh, accelerate the permitting process for renewable energy on public lands. And uh, that uh, decision tracks almost exactly with legislation that I'd introduced uh, to make sure that happens. So we were, we were super excited about that. Uh, before you go, first of all, I want to just, again, uh, make sure our listeners understand what a tremendous leader Ro Khanna is in the United States, both in the Congress and, and really thought leader uh, outside of the Congress uh, as well. And uh, towards that end, you, you recently wrote a great book, uh, Dignity in a Digital Age. Uh, and uh, I'd love for you to just share a bit about that book and uh, what you want our listeners to know about it. Well, thank you, Mike. First, uh, thank you for your leadership on so many issues, but the two issues that come to mind uh, when I think of your leadership are climate. Obviously, you've dedicated your whole life to that 20 years before Congress, and, you, and the Speaker put you on the select committee uh, dealing with uh, climate as a, as a sense of confidence in your ideas. And, you know, you're, you come from it from a progressive perspective, a coalition builder, uh, which I 
which I say is a progressive that can get 218 votes, which is what you need to do <laughs> to get anything uh, passed in the, in the House. Senate's a different story, but uh, at least uh, yeah. at least we can do it in the House. And then on Veterans Affairs, which where you're a chair of the subcommittee and uh, you've been helpful for legislation we've passed, and I uh, appreciate your sincere commitment to uh, to veterans uh, in your district and across the country. Dignity and Digital Age has a simple uh, thesis. Uh, there's $11 trillion of market cap value in my district. Maybe it went down to $8 trillion over the last couple months, but you get the point. It's double-digit trillions. I mean, to put that in context, uh, Russia's entire GDP is $1.6 trillion, and market cap is an equivalent to GDP, but it just shows how much wealth is being generated. And in large parts of the country have faced total deindustrialization, job loss, uh, where people are saying that there's a brain drain, their kids are leaving, there's no economic uh, opportunity, they feel the American dream is slipping away. And the book argues that we have to really decentralize the economic engine of job creation and wealth generation uh, across the country, that it's got to be in rural America and black and brown America, and it offers ideas for how to do that. Of course, I don't have uh, by any stretch all the solutions, but the book's a provocation to say, how can we get more intentional ideas about getting prosperity in places left out. Fantastic. Well, Ro, I'm so grateful to you uh, for uh, your time today uh, and for all the work that you do. I want to thank everybody for listening in. And Ro, for our listeners who want to follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I appreciate it. I, certainly, I'm active on Twitter, uh, there being a reference <laughs> to Dali, so they can follow me at Rep Ro Khanna or at Ro Khanna. And, uh, uh, they can uh, email me at row at rowkana.com. Fantastic. And uh, if you want to reach out to uh, either Congressman Kana or myself, you can also call 202-225-3121, or you can visit either of our websites at kana.house.gov or mikelevin.house.gov. You know, there's another Levin, Andy, so I get mikelevin.house.gov. <laughs> so there you go. But uh, for our listeners, also, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And be sure to follow me on social media at Rep Mike Levin across all the social media platforms for the latest updates on our work in Congress. Thanks, everybody. Ro, great to be with you. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Listening with Levin. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date on all things Congress. Share with your friends and neighbors. And I hope you take the time to rate us on whatever platform you're listening on. Visit mikelevin.house.gov for more info. And we'll see you next time.